And somebody handed me a helmet and a riot stick and, and said, come on, we're going in the yard and get this thing back under control. And I can remember running down the stairs here thinking, this is really stupid. I could get killed out here, you know. You know, it was one of those feelings that somebody's getting ready to take a shot at you or something. You know, it was just a scary, scary feeling. And in fact, the inmate that started the fire uh, in the kitchen, I could see his hand through the window. It was dark at night, but I could see his hand. It was his left hand. He had a piece of paper that was on fire, and I could see him hold it out and drop it. They never intentionally set the chapel on fire. It was the heat from the kitchen. When I was sitting on that wrestling mat with the body under my feet, and I was eating that sandwich and drinking this red Kool-Aid when the Ada County detectives came in and said, doesn't this bother you? And I said, I guess not. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> We're back, and this season is about riots and uprisings at the Idaho State Penitentiary. This season will serve as a companion series to our brand new exhibition titled Disturbing Justice, an illustrated narrative of ISP uprisings that will open up the weekend of August 22nd. Each week on the podcast, we will go in-depth into the history of a riot, the people involved, and the important historical events happening throughout the country and around the world at the time. In this episode, Sky and I will introduce the members of the team that put the exhibition together, including former guests to the show, Amber, Amber Byerly. I'm the Historic Sites Administrator for the Old Idaho Penitentiary. J.C. Breen, I'm the other interpretive specialist here at the Old Idaho Penitentiary. And Haley, Haley Noble, Noble, part of the staff here at the Old Idaho Penitentiary. Do a lot of research, mostly. But first, we must begin with teacher and creative genius, Alan Gladfelter, who created the art for our new exhibition at the Old Idaho Penitentiary, Disturbing Justice. Alan has over 20 years of experience as a professional illustrator and educator. He's an art teacher at Frank Church High School in Boise, a former adjunct BSU professor in illustration, and has a broad resume illustrating comics with Disney, Pixar, DreamWorks, Sony, and the Boise Weekly, and has worked as a game and concept artist with Jam City Games, among many other things. So welcome, Alan. Thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Quite, quite the resume. Very, oh. very impressed. Yeah, for sure. Can you tell us about yourself, where you grew up, yeah, how you right. got into art? Well, um, I'm from uh, Bellingham, Washington. Uh, I moved well. I moved to Bellingham, Washington, when I was in you know middle school, and I went through high school there. And after uh, after that, I spent most of my uh, early adulthood in, in Seattle. Although I've, I've bopped around from place to place. And I I guess when did I start being an artist? I since very early age, eight or nine years old, I was drawing little cartoons and comic strips when I was very young, and it just. I was very lucky in high school. I walked in the door as a freshman, pretty much knowing what I wanted to do on all the way through and and, and uh, that was my focus and it really hasn't changed much since then to be an, mm -hmm. be an artist and an art teacher around about 2000 you know I'd been you know I was turning 30 and it was time to either go pro or or not and uh, so I kind of made that decision and I threw myself into it and I've had some had some ups and downs but it's been uh, it's been my life yeah did you think you'd be making art about a prison riot someday? <laughs> well, uh, honestly, it doesn't surprise me. I, uh, when I moved to Boise, I moved to Boise in around 2003, 2004. Very soon after, I was invited to participate in a comic book anthology called Comic Culture, uh, long out of print. But they asked me to do a couple of pages for them, and I just moved to town and I'd seen the the prison and I thought, what an evocative location, you know, to set a story in. So we cooked up a little tale of a uh, called the 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 life of Otis McKenzie, a mm. tragic tale of an of an elderly uh, inmate who dies with a carrying a secret to his grave. Uh, oh. <laughs> and it was set in the prison, and I thought, you know, I drew the heck out of the place. It's such an interesting environment and uh if one common thread through my work is to uh pay attention and be interested in the the setting and the location of your stories so uh yeah i did it two pages it was printed in comic culture and 16 years later you guys decided you wanted to do some prison comics and uh put a call to artists out through the uh through the city and I had a half a dozen people send me that link that very day. <laughs> <laughs> Say, you should do this. And I, I sent it on in, and I 
pretty sure that uh, that I had already drawn the the, the prison and, and had paid attention to it. I think that's what put me over the top of anybody else that was applying for the for the work. That piece, we all went. He's already done part of the job here. Like we we can already see a lot of the uniforms you had drawn and like the prison administrators, the wardens you had drawn, mm-hmm. the warden's office. We were like. Has he, has he already started on the project? We haven't even hired him yet. <laughs> so yeah, we it, I was happy that. to move, return to the subject. It's such uh-huh. an evocative location. I will always look for a way to draw a location in such a manner as you would not find just you know surfing the internet or looking at Google Street View or something. Mm-hmm. It's a, right. Finding mm-hmm. a, a feet-on-the-ground point of view is, uh, is very interesting, and that's what made this project interesting to me is the opportunity to explore the, the the prison in such detail. Yeah. How has this project differed from like working with Disney Pixar? Mm. Like, mm-hmm. well, when you work with a uh, Disney or any of uh, any mainstream comic publisher, they usually have a writer who will send you a completed script, uh, which is a uh, every panel is described, all the words are written out ahead of time. Mm. This one was a lot more fluid, and we had a, an outline of the basic story that we had in mind, but breaking it down and getting it all to fit was a much more uh, back-and-forth, free-form approach, which I think worked pretty well. It makes for an interesting page design, mm-hmm. but the, the script is more locked down mm-hmm. than it was. We mm-hmm. were writing it all the way up to the last day right. with the dialogue and stuff. Sounds sounds like this place. Sounds like it a was podcast. a little more yeah. like you would expect. What in comic world is called the Marvel Manor, which mm-hmm. they would hand, a, which is how Marvel Comics used to do it in the 1960s. The Stan Lee would just give an outline to his artists and say, "Draw, draw that," mm-hmm. and then he'd come back and be, and then he'd figure out the words in response to the drawings. Mm-hmm. That's and that's cool. closer to the system that we used. And I actually I prefer to work this way. Sure. So. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, it was fine. It was it was an interesting. Way to, way to do so. So what, because I'm assuming to work with Disney and DreamWorks, you were out in, in L.A. or no, California, no? No, no, no. no I did... see, I drew the comic books. I have to always Oh, I see, say, okay. I did not work on the movies. I would okay. love to have, but no. The phone rang out of the clear blue skies one day, and somebody said, would you like to draw cars? And I said, sure, okay, <laughs> you know. That's kind of how work comes to me, usually, is uh, I have a reputation. I've been doing this a long time, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I, I don't know how to find work. I just somebody decides it's time to call Alan sure. and I do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've certainly been easy to work with in this process. Like, oh, oh, thank you, Alan. Can you just change this thing and then you know, yeah, an okay. hour later, oh, here's a complete like redrawing of this panel or you yeah. know, a correction on this thing. So that's been really nice, and it's well, been, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. What were some difficulties, like snags that you ran into for this riot project? I would say the biggest difficulty, if any, was just getting the uh, getting the costumes right, mm-hmm. especially with the guards. But mm-hmm. there's all these infinite little details that having to go into, you know, like for example, um, I would never have guessed it, but on the uh, the night of the 1973 riot, when uh, they were when they sent in some guards to quell the uprising. The guards that say, they sent in with their billy clubs were wearing what looked to me like motorcycle helmets. They were mm. big, and I they didn't do that in any of the previous ones. Usually, they would just send the guys in in their big coats and, and service caps, and they'd beat up everybody wearing that. Mm-hmm. But these guys were wearing motorcycles, and I just happened to notice that on some period photographs. Because mm-hmm. uh, at that point, there's a, peri- there's a moment in 1973 when... The prisoners are all strip searched on the uh, basketball field, mm-hmm. and I was having a hard time picturing it. So I wrote you guys, "Hey, do you, it's impossible you have a photo of this, but do you have a photo of them being strip searched?" And you guys, "Oh yeah, we got tons here. Look at this." And they sent me, a, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh." Sure and then I was like, "Oh, wait a minute, look at those guys." And I was looking at the guards, and they were wearing their motorcycle helmets. Never would have guessed that. There's lots of that throughout the entire thing. Just did I, you know, looking for interior details mm-hmm. doors signs that are on the walls the kind of kind of stuff they're selling in the commissary where was the commissary we still don't really know right. <laughs> you know <Yeah. laughs> so getting all the period detail and getting it right was something that i had spent a lot of time trying to get trying to pay attention to yeah um, yeah but i think it's those details that really 
make a piece excellent. And I haven't I haven't seen your work yet, um, but I am very excited about the exhibit. And from what I've heard, it's it looks great, and I'm very excited. And so I think, like, I just want to thank you for taking those details seriously, because, yeah. you know, as historians or as people who love historical fiction or or drawings or comics or whatever, it's the it's those details that are like just historically accurate that you can really. Mm-hmm get a picture and so thank you for bringing that to life because hey, there's is another very historic exciting. detail i want to point out and i think it might be 1971 and that is the uh the, the fire marshal mm-hmm. who came out on on that night i wasn't sure what he looked like and i, I called uh, the uh the fire department here in town the local uh the local station the one that would have responded to mm-hmm. this one in that time and said do you have a picture of that of your fire marshal or his helmet i want to get that right Mm -hmm. and they sent me a photo of the guy and they sent me a photo of the helmet and i think i got it pretty close that's awesome that kind of thing is i tried to do as often as i could yeah i really hope visitors who come and see Mm -hmm. this exhibition here they're gonna see the evolution of the clothing as you were just talking about and then the prison as it developed and like grew and you actually see a forehouse under construction so what was like your favorite part about working on this project compared to other, I mean, you mentioned that you know it is it was you know, a little bit looser in terms of what you were able to draw, but like what like what was maybe your favorite thing to draw or favorite thing to learn about? Um, tell us I about just, that. I just enjoyed exploring the prison. To be honest, I've mm-hmm. always enjoyed walking around in here and and the challenge of getting it everything in the right place and mm-hmm. and, and with the right shape and all the space. Just focusing on, I, I guess the the subject that interested me most was the prison itself you mm-hmm. know these stories of what happened in the prison i'm not saying those aren't interesting but just you know how do i get this so that when you you could you could take carry this with you and go to these spots in the prison and go mm-hmm. and line it up that's mm-hmm. what i wanted to feel like yeah and hopefully you could stand in that space and imagine what it looked like before say the the old health building mm-hmm. burned down you know oh there it was mm-hmm. yeah so I tried to uh, get that as, as just spot on as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I, that's what I ex- enjoyed the most. Okay. Yeah, you spent a lot of time out here. I did. Sketching <laughs> and taking photos and reference photos and everything else. Like, yeah, I think it really shows. Yeah. Yeah, you guys were very accommodating too. I would just <laughs> call and there I'd say, oh, come on down. <laughs> we hear that a lot. What even like motivated you? to use comics as a medium to tell stories. It's too far back in my past to, to, to know any better. You yeah. know, I just, yeah. I don't know any better. Yeah, did you just grow up reading comics? I grew comics up reading and... comics and, and drawing them. It's just, yeah. it's my art form. And uh, it's an art form that when I was a, a teenager, that's when they started, comics started to get a lot more respect as, an, mm-hmm. as a viable art medium. Mm-hmm. It kind of has a reputation from before. Yeah in the 70s, 60s, 50s of being, you know, kind of kids, throwaway kids stuff. Mm. But around the 80s and 90s, it started gaining a certain amount of literary cachet. And that's only been growing throughout my lifetime. Mm -hmm. But it seemed to me like the the art form that uh, interested me most. It's 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 an an enormous challenge to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. I just don't know any better. Yeah. Being a teacher and, and teaching your kids um, art and um, what they can get out of art, what is like one lesson that you kind of would take away from this project that to like teach your kids about making art or creating art or viewing art? Like, is there something from this project that you would like sort of take away to teach your kids? Uh, I teach comics often in my classes. It's, uh, it's an interdisciplinary art form that brings in the uh, the interests of the literature and creative writing field as well. So mm-hmm. there's a, a, a synergy between drawing comics and creative writing. So in a school, a high school that has a good AP literature writing uh, English program, mm-hmm. this is one where a lot of those organizational features that you would have to understand when you're mm-hmm. doing creative writing, which, you know, outlining, doing various drafts, under you know getting a certain amount of meter and grammar correct like mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff plays into it but it also has an, an art expressive aspect to it too that a lot of kids respond to their kids are very interested in comics and whether it's japanese manga or sure. american superheroes or or alternative stuff 
it is definitely an art form that kind of ties into a lot of the interests that teenagers bring into mm -hmm. it. It can be very expressive in that way. So uh, between uh, the creative writing part of it and then as, a, as an art teacher, I try to, you know, explain the step-by-step -step process of it, how you mm -hmm. first come up with an idea, outline your story, do your first couple of sketches, try to assemble your drawings and, you know, marshal your resources mm -hmm. in the hopes of being able to come up with a page that or two that tells the story from start to finish. Mm -hmm. And then... After that, I've had several students go on to create entire comic books entirely on their own. Oh, you know, it's a lot of fun to see that. Sure. If I could teach in non nothing but comics in the high school, I think it would be a valuable mm. experience. Hear that, Boise <laughs> School District? <laughs> <laughs> Is it a difficult field to like professionally get into? Or yes, yeah. um, notoriously so. There are a lot of people that want to do this, yeah. and uh, the what I tell people is like I. I had a hard time breaking in as long as I was trying to break in. Mm. What caused my uh, professional career really to take off was I stopped waiting for permission. I just started drawing comics and mm. I drew some comics, printed them up at a printer, made a couple hundred copies, started going to comic book conventions and mm. getting a table and there I'd stand there and smile and shake people's hand and <laughs> sell people comics. And uh, one day I don't remember exactly when, but the the publisher of a pretty major comic company came by, picked up my book, said thank you, and walked away. And then wow. weeks later, the phone rings out of the clear blue sky, and they want me to draw cars. That's how it starts. Wow. If you want to do this, and really if you want to do any art form, not mm -hmm. just comics, you want to be a musician or a painter or anything, you don't don't try to get the deal first. You have to actually mm -hmm. be doing it, and doing mm -hmm. it for quite a while before yeah. somebody will ever notice. Right, right. Yeah, so speaking of your professional endeavors, you, you work as a teacher at Frank mm -hmm, Church, mm -hmm. but the shutdown that kind of put yeah. that all off for a while, what what have you done during the shutdown? For one thing, by the way, I should mention, uh, I was a substitute teacher at Frank Church. Oh. For I was on an assignment teaching art at Frank Church for a year and a half. Oh. So, and uh, when the shutdown happened, we went online and I taught the, uh, did the online stuff along with all the other teachers until the school year was at the end. And then, uh, and then after that, we've just been kind of cruising through summer. I was going to be a summer camp counselor, but they mm -hmm. canceled summer camp. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> oh, well, it's okay. <laughs> and, um, so the shutdown, of course, it's just like for me, just like for everybody else out there, it's been kind of a crazy time mm -hmm. where, you know, uh, well, everybody that's listening to this, you, you, you know. Mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> uh, but I, I guess an interesting synergy, what I wanted to go with with this, an interesting synergy of what was going on in, com in current events while I was drawing this were the, the Black Lives Matter protests. Yeah. Those really took off while we were working on this. Uh -huh. And as I was working on this, I was thinking, you know, on the one hand, during every, you know, on the news, I'm hearing about all these riots, you know, all across the country, and I'm drawing about riots in the prison, and I got right. to thinking, what caused these riots mm. here in this prison? Why did these people, the 10 times that we're talking about, why did they finally get fed up, have enough, and start shaking their fist at the warden? Mm -hmm. And usually it's because they were being fed bad food mm -hmm. they were being overworked mm -hmm. they were kept in unlivable conditions there was vermin and disease and mm -hmm. filth and they were getting beat up by the guards once in a while you know so yeah. they were being mistreated and so after a while they said enough and they started fighting and that's well why are the black lives matter protesters fighting it's because they're being mistreated right mm -hmm. they're being people are beating them up and killing them mm -hmm. and so they after a while they get they stop believing that anybody's really listening and they start fighting. And that's, uh, I think that was the, uh, the most interesting parallel yeah. to this project and current events. It's just the, what causes people to riot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were all, you know, scratching our heads saying like, how do we time this that <laughs> all of these things are happening nationwide while we are creating an exhibit about the same thing in this little microcosm of a, a penitentiary, right. you know, and... Well, there was one yeah. of the one of the um, one of the stories. I think it's 1971. Starts off with a couple of panels that describe the conditions in the prison. Mm -hmm. Now, while I was while we were working on that, that's one of the more complicated stories, and I was worried about whether we were going to be able to fit everything that they wanted to get into it, into it. And for a while there, I was contemplating dropping the the causes, the the the, mm -hmm. the heat, the 
disease, the vermin, the, the flooding. Mm -hmm. But at thinking about it, I was like, no, you have to, without, and kudos to Amber. She stood up for this one. But yeah, we had to put in why they were, what the conditions were like in order to understand why the prisoners, you know, went so far as to, you know, burn down a couple buildings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the causes. Mm -hmm. Look at that. Yeah, for sure. And then graphic representation of the riots is was like the best way we could explain them because the site, like visually, you mm -hmm. see that damage still mm -hmm. to this day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, you did such a, a great job of really showing that. We're trying to put these events into context mm -hmm. is what we're doing by telling these stories. Yeah. That's what stories are, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is putting into context the, the events that we that are more memorable. Absolutely. As tour guides, mm -hmm. I, I've always found it difficult to explain the riots to people. So mm -hmm. how you did it on two pages for yeah. in both 71 and 73, 52, like those riots were so yeah. complex. and. Mm -hmm. Some of them were kind of funny. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, my personal favorite is 1966. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and the reason is is because it was a it was a sit-in. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was the 60s, right? And that's what they do is they right. instead of rioting, they had a sit-in. Nice. <laughs> I love the 60s. Yeah, <laughs> I think that was also the one where it was about the counterfeit coins. Exactly. Yeah. And anything. I've always been interested in in forgery and fakery and counterfeiting and stuff like. It's an interesting art form mm -hmm. yeah. in itself. With a and anything that just tickles me. It's, it's so so. It's so clever and so skillful. I mean, imagine trying to make an accurate die yeah. in prison mm -hmm. yeah. somebody had somebody walked in here with some real skill which they could have used to do something you know not criminal yeah. on the right yeah. by the way boise look around in your attics and basements and stuff somebody out there has those dies <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's funny that with that one because it was like the higher denomination the dollar uh -huh. die that one was great they did that probably was in circulation those fake counterfeit coins were in circulation for so long mm. and then some punk decides oh i'm gonna make a die too right for like 10 cents five cents and uh -huh. those are the ones that are found first <laughs> mm. oh well ruin it for everybody here's a funny here and how'd you like to be in on the telephone call from the prison <laughs> to the company that made those coins those <laughs> coins were advertised to the prison as being uncounterfeitable, yeah. right? And how long did they have those coins? I can't imagine it was very long. No. And so eventually, you know, Warden May, I think it was, mm -hmm. calls up and says, what's the deal here, buddy? And, you know, that's, Clap, yeah. I guess that company lost its contract. Mm -hmm. so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you have time on your hands, nothing else to lose. Nothing to lose. is too expensive. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. good stuff do? in that commissary, yeah. too. I was looking yeah. around at those pictures. Yeah. Yeah. I know recently at iDoc, they have kind of these, like, uh -huh. little iPad things, the MP3 things, and they figure out a way to somehow they would put items, like, in their cart, and then they would erase it, but they would still get the item free. So it was kind of a digital counterfeiting oh, that they no, were doing. They figured out this little loophole, so... It's a smart people, you know. <laughs> yeah, We've got nothing better to do. Sit around, figure it out. Right. Yeah, and that you know, what 2018 <laughs> that that happened, and it was 1966. Yeah. That got the call, said, you're going to do it? Okay, great. And then I came in for a meeting. Mm -hmm. and we just talked about the scope of what was going to go on and what we needed to do. Ten pages. Uh, seven seven stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah, seven stories, ten pages. And then you guys sent me, I mean, we kind of knew about what it was. And then you guys sent me packets of, uh, of reading material. A lot of reading material. <laughs> packets is an accurate A couple way. of those Sorry. things were like 70 pages long. Yeah. Like, wow. I and it's just oh my god i read everything <laughs> i did and sometimes i read it and go okay half of this stuff we're not even going to bother with you right, know it's just yeah. something and a lot of it was redundant and, mm -hmm. but a lot of it was you know like the handwritten journals written by prison guards at the time it's mm -hmm. kind of interesting and news clippings and archival photos and uh yeah. just into interviews with people and you know you read through it it's just, there's a lot of reading to do and from there we had to kind of work out what what the pictures are necessary or tell the story what is the what are the main through lines of the story where is this happening what are the mm. what are the the key moments this is um a kind of cartooning that where well there's 
again, I'm going to get a little technical on the cartooning. When you're um, so there's a kind of cartooning that's moment to moment, and that's the call and response kind of cartooning that you would see in your normal newspaper and that kind of thing. Somebody says something, somebody says something else, somebody replies mm -hmm. back and forth. That's moment to moment. Yeah. And we really couldn't do that kind of thing here. This their story is too long, too broad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we had to go from scene to scene kind of uh, sequences where you have the a representative scene and a couple of words and then the captions kind of fill in the blanks and then you mm. move to the next one and so the 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 intervals between the drawings are a bit further out than uh than this call and response kind of cartooning and most of my cartoons and comic work really is moment to moment where you're mm -hmm. illustrating conversations yeah. and so doing something with the transitions so broad was a was a you know kind of, kind of like it you know, it's an interesting way to approach it but mm -hmm. Of course, it makes for drawings that have to be pulled out a bit more. Uh, your point of view has to be pulled out a bit further than you would have uh, in a moment. Where you can, on a moment to moment, you can get right in on the people, like on their faces. But when you're doing something where you have, or there's something diagrammatic about what you're drawing, you have to show where it's happening, where, what's surrounding them, and what their relationships are, you know, spatial relationships, where one person is standing in comparison to another. Yeah. And where the buildings are in comparison to where the people are, that's a that's a that's a that's a you have to take a step back in your point of view, and to get across all of that information. Uh, so yeah, we, that, we managed to do it though. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. what was the question again? Uh, just like what was the process? So, <laughs> oh, so, so you you know you got the archives and everything arc, and figured out what the drawings would need to be, figured out what the the se sequences would need to be, and. Uh, I do a little thumbnail and I know, okay, I know they're standing here. I know we've got a building there and a building there and a, something over there. But where is it exactly precisely? That's when I'm like, okay, I need to go into the prison. I brought in my thumbnails and sketches and then I went to the locations that I was looking at and go, okay, here, click, click, mm. click. And used a lot of photo reference to make sure that I was collecting, getting the, the point of view accurate mm -hmm. from where the, I figured the people were standing. Certain amount of creativity goes into figuring out exactly where everybody's standing, where sure. your points of view are. Once you've got collected all your reference together, I've got and I know what, the, what they're wearing, what they look like, and uh, where the where they are in the prison. Then it's a matter of sitting down and and just drawing it. There's mm -hmm. really no getting around that. You sure. Just pull out <laughs> pull out a piece of paper and a pencil and start drawing. Right. And uh, once the uh, once the drawings are in black and white, pen and ink finished. Uh, I showed it to you guys, mm -hmm. and we had to work out what the dialogue would be then because mm -hmm. we did the dialogue after the pictures. Mm. So we sat down, we looked at each one, and kind of okay, here we need this, here we need that. And it's kind <laughs> mm -hmm. of workmanlike. It's not, you know, okay. It's you think about the dialogue in terms of what's needed to get across the information. Mm -hmm. and that's the, that's the purpose that the dialogue serves, and you try to put the dialogue into kind of period patois, you know. So it's, <laughs> yeah. but uh. At the uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's it's serving a purpose of of getting across what's going on, telling part part more of the story. Once we figured out what the dialogue was, um, I started working on the coloring, and the mm. the coloring took almost as long as the drawing. Wow. To be honest, it was it was very elaborate coloring, really. Yeah. But it looks good, so yeah. I hope it stands up. These things are going to be printed big, by the way. Yeah. yeah. I think they're like 24 inches by 32 inches, mm -hmm. and that's a, that's a darn nice <laughs> size piece of comic book page <laughs> so uh, which means people are going to be looking at it from pretty close up you know you don't mm. usually shrink things down mm. yeah. is, i'm hoping that the stuff holds up at that size yeah oh, i think so i think yeah. so <laughs> i've looked at each panel so closely and intricately just to see if there's anything you know before we send it to the printer you know yeah you put so much work into it and it's it's clear and you really kind of became one with the prison I would do it again. You know, I'd love amazing. to draw more. Yeah. I, I could. I think there's a lot more stuff. You know, doing. Oh, absolutely. I could pitch a bunch of ideas at you guys. Watch out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we were thinking, you know, whole ghost comic story book prison series. comics. Yeah. You know? so, oh my god. <laughs> all right. Good. All right. Coming now. next year, everybody. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Alan will be creating <laughs> new comics for us. Well, if there's like one thing when people come visit the exhibit and they see your artwork and they see the work that that you know we've done and collaborating with you, like what is like one thing that you want people to take away from it, whether it's art related or whether it's knowledge related? Like what's yeah. re what's really something you hope people take away from this exhibit? Well, um, 
it's been a while since this has been a prison, and I think people forgot that it was sometimes, you know? <laughs> it was, it was... You know, I think the most interesting thing is just look at it as like this is how do we treat one another in a mm -hmm. in a way that they don't feel like we have to resort to this mm -hmm. to, to to a rioting in order to get our grievances um, heard and uh, mm -hmm. and our and our basic human humanity respected. Mm -hmm. If we don't want to have that, then we have to treat people better. And so when you look at this, it's to me I look at it as a document of what causes people to rise up and want to want to fight sure you know yeah. and also just thinking about how old this place is this place was built in the 1800s this, mm -hmm. you know when it closed down it was 100 years old mm -hmm. you know and so just that's a lot of history to have in one one place and it's so well preserved here even though the place burned down you know it's like mm -hmm. it all burned down still a lot of stuff here <laughs> appreciation for history and mm -hmm. uh and appreciation for the common humanity of people even prisoners that's great yeah. anything else you want to add to this well i'm i'm happy to i've been boising in here for a long time i'll probably here quite a bit longer i'm working on a personal project that's uh keeping me up nights and i'm going to keep at that and usually i hang around at the flying m and if you want to come and say hello you come nice. on down and i'll show you i'll talk to you about unicorns or something you know that's yeah. kind of what i do where can our listeners see more of your work and get a hold of you if they have a okay. project? Well, uh, you can go to my my portfolio website is www.alangladfelter.com. That's my portfolio. There is a contact me button on that page, so you just click that, and I'll hear from you that way. Or you can call up the prison; they can give you my number or something like that. That would yeah. probably work. Or look yeah. me up in the phone book. I'm not that hard to find. Go to the Flying M. I'm hanging out there <laughs> every afternoon. So. I'll, I'll put a link in the description of this episode. Okay, so thank you. Yeah, Check out yeah. his work. It's Please, amazing. yeah, have a look. Uh, and I, If there's anybody else wants me to draw Boise, I'll do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like doing it. I'm excited for everyone to see the the exhibit. I think it's going to be a great addition to all the recent exhibits that we've opened up. And what we're really trying to do is bring humanity to the prison, like Alan was saying, is, is understanding that, yes, it was a prison, but there were people here. They weren't just inmates who, like, didn't deserve sympathy. And, um, and I think Alan does a great job of bringing that to life and helping us visualize it a lot more, even more so than like the faces exhibit and obviously more so than an audio podcast so come visit i think it's going to be really great and thank you so much for participating in the project and for being here with us today right um, if i were to say do your own time how would you respond to that do your own crime I like that'll it. work right. <laughs> hi i'm amber byerly i'm the historic sites administrator uh for the old idaho penitentiary how what was your contribution to the uh Disturbing Justice exhibition. Well, I I wrote um, part of it, edited it. Project manager, I think, is probably the best title to give that. Um, it was uh, it definitely was my brainchild. It was something that uh, I, I had thought of when we were doing the thirty two cells event, which of course we put the biographies together, and an artist interprets that. And we had just this new, unique audience that was sort of starving for a different way to look at history. So it was kind of a natural thing to do. Yeah, so this has been a project you've thought about for a while. Oh, many, many years. I think yeah. the other, of course, the other big part of it is just people wanting to know when they come and they see the actual destruction of the buildings, like, why does it look like that? And mm -hmm. so there's this physical landscape that's the reminder of the past. And so how do we interpret that in a good way, tell that story? And, of course, just riots are interesting in and of themselves, this, you know, kind of violent place full of sometimes very violent people and, um, you know, just the recognition of that past. Were there any grants or anything like that involved? Yeah, I mean, we were very fortunate enough to get the um, Boise City Arts and History Department. We got we got a grant. Uh, J.C. Brain, our interpretive specialist, helped put that together, and they were wonderful. Just you know, obviously, they have an interest in local history, and Boise, of course, um, being the location of the penitentiary, it's it's important to tell that local story and what it meant because, of course, so many people still remember those last mm -hmm. riots in the place lighting up and and being able to see the sky glowing uh, especially for the 1973 riot and could you talk about the uh the call to artists and like meeting alan and how all that came about yeah i know when we first put the call to artists out 
I think, you know, we were kind of like, well, we hope we, we knew local artists through the Swell Artist Collective and our, our partnership with them. And we were really hoping for like two or three good ones that could make it competitive. And it was great to see 12 people all the way from, I think our, the one that was uh, farthest away was Post Falls. Mm. And just everyone was actually really good. There was, It was very, very difficult. I think it came down to probably four or five really any one of those artists I think we would have just been tickled pink to have and and I think what just made Alan's work stand out is it just really had that graphic novel feel with a real consideration he had done sort of a work of fiction about the penitentiary this this work of fiction story and he had such detail about the buildings and of course artists are concerned about an artistic story which isn't always an accurate story <laughs> so we we just sort of saw that he had an eye for accuracy and um i we, i think we just said let's go for it it looks like a good fit and and uh, i think i think the display will uh will say that what's the big takeaway that you want viewers to walk away with or listeners or listeners yeah <laughs> listeners to the season yeah right. well and the great news is part of um you know part of this this grant and of course I, I failed to mention that we also got a national endowment for the humanities grant to really keep this programming going keep us afloat during the pandemic because I would recommend nobody start a an exhibit during the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. That uh, proved to be pretty uh, <laughs> pretty tough because I mean, obviously, this process has been going on for a year, but we still had the bulk of the work to do. And really, in earnest, we started in February and March, and so it was just nobody could see that coming. And I think the even more interesting than that, of course, we're talking about riots, and we we, we put this through the lens of social justice, and then of course our world turns upside mm-hmm. down, and saying riots means a whole new thing, yeah. and so we had to place that in context of this as well. And so I think there's some sensitivities that were put in place for that, but really all it told us is it was no better time to tell this story than right now, again, through that lens of social justice. And we were very intentional about the title, Disturbing Justice uprisings at the Idaho State Penitentiary because you can look at this through two different ways that this disturbed the justice and natural order of what was going on and therein lies the injustice or you can look at it as maybe this system was not favorable and wasn't just for everyone and needed to be disturbed so we we want people to look at that ask questions about why these things start how they start, should they start, how do we handle those things. And so we ask a lot of, uh, in each panel that discusses these individual riots, we ask a digging deeper question. So it's like, you know, did the use of violence and force help or hurt the situation? Mm. And on and on from there. I don't want to give too much away, but um, a yeah. lot of good questions to consider. I think the one of the bigger takeaways is just that it's really important that we're always evaluating how we're showing history and I think to that point of what we mentioned earlier about whether this audience is viewers or whether this is uh, listeners we really want to have digital content out there as well so we're going to work on some things to kind of make part of this available especially in the classrooms Mm because we think this is important for kids to really look at conflict and so you can take a conflict that occurred here and maybe it's not applicable to everything in your life but it's you know it is a subset of what's going on in the world and and how do people with power and authority and those who don't for whatever reason how do they manage that conflict that comes up and and again it's just another way for for our viewers our audience our listeners to look at history in a different way because not everybody learns the same with you know we all mm-hmm. you know we like the text and we like mm-hmm. that that sort of stuff but this has so many layers of both the historical accuracy, but this graphic novel form that really dramatizes uh, what was going on and and just makes it really visual for people. And I think that's important Mm -hmm. as we try to gain audiences and just stay relevant. That's great. And did you have discussions leading up to this uh, about like portraying something with so much gravity, like a riot, (laughs) like a prison riot where people are are murdered in a graphic novel context? Like what kind of thoughts led to this. Right. And I think in order to make something digestible, you know, I, I think there is, is a, could be a risk in, in doing that, that people say, well, you're not taking it seriously. I actually think having that, that drama in that visual form really just heightens your awareness of the reality of it. Oddly enough, you know, it's in this kind of cartoon form, but it certainly brings something 
to light that just reading simply can't do. And I think we, we were careful to, to be considerate of both sides of, of these issues and that, you know, there's not all one good guy and there's not all one bad guy. I mean, that's the whole point and purpose and it's complicated and you really need to look at each one on its own, but then you see these recurring themes too. Mm-hmm. And you're sort of like, how, why do they keep making the same mistakes? And when I say they, it's both sides of it. Mm-hmm. You know, why do they keep doing the same things? It's just not clearly not working. Cause some of these riots of course are within years mm-hmm. of one another. And you know, that's, you know, the same mm-hmm. guys were there and uh, you know, to be a fly on the wall. And, and really that's what we were trying to do. Make everybody a fly on the wall. So they could sort of see this as, as first person as you can get now. Are there going to be any interactive uh, components to to this new exhibit? Yeah, that was really important to us to make sure that people could really, because it's always unique when you have that sense of place. You're actually here. You can experience right. where these things happened. And the, the building in which it is, the, the old barber shop was right next to the old hospital, which burned down in the 71 riot. Mm-hmm. So literally we took down a door and put up plex so people could mm-hmm. view that space. And not only that, we had some barriers that were up to that foundation. We realized there's nothing there's no safety concerns there. Right. So we took those barriers down. People can walk on the foundation of this place that was burned down. And we're going to have uh, questions and and things to consider. Maybe sometimes it'll just be a word. And, and we want people to have an emotional connection to the exhibit. So it may be a question about peace or riots or, or how to go about um, creating social justice. And we'll ask people with chalk, mm-hmm. easily can be taken down. So sure. this is not damaging any sort of space. In chalk, people can draw pictures. They can they can write. We will curate a little bit just to, you know, <laughs> make sure, sure that, that people are putting appropriate things on there. But really, for the most part, we want, we want people's feelings and reactions yeah. to come out of that. And that was really important to do that. So, so we'll have that component. And, and it's great that people can see, we'll be able to see that. Absolutely in the exhibit as well as go outside and and contribute to it after viewing it. Really cool. Uh, Hey, I am JC Breen. I'm the other interpretive specialist here at the Old Idaho Penitentiary, working more on the, the visitor services side of things. We are so excited for this exhibit to come to fruition this summer and for guests to be able to hop into the pages of a graphic novel to understand the stories of the uprisings Mm -hmm. and major riots that occurred at the Idaho State Penitentiary. As far as what my role is, I uh, was able to help with writing a grant application last summer, about a year ago now. It was August of 2019 when we received a Boise City Department of arts and history grant for $5,000 to put toward hiring an artist and producing this exhibit. And so that's been about about a year cycle now since we're just kind of looking at that grant again. And since we received that, we've been able to step-by-step put this exhibit together. And now we're looking at uh, spending even more money by... Uh, introducing this exhibit to the Old Idaho Penitentiary Souvenir Confinement Store yeah. through prints of some of the this original local graphic novel artwork and in the form of apparel, bookmarks, journals, whatever else we decide to release this artwork on for people to take home with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what other events do we have coming up just in the next couple months? So the weekend of the 21st and 22nd of August, we're opening the Disturbing Justice exhibit to the public. And then on Friday, August 28th, we're holding a Captivating Conversations event, which is part of the Old Idaho Penitentiary's lecture series, where some of the folks involved in the exhibit, present company included, uh, will be there to discuss the process for the exhibit, the reason behind its development, the decision to produce it in a graphic novel form and how it's relevant to the social justice issues that the country is learning from today. And then in September, we are hosting our very first 13 Stories film competition here at the site. It's a partnership with I-48, the local 48-hour film competition here in Boise. And they're great partners. Josie and Andrew have been amazing with locating some of these great local filmmakers and it's not a 48 hour competition but we have given each of these teams a story in which a true idaho state penitentiary prisoner story escapes prisoner life stories sports stories whatever it is and these groups are producing a short film based on that story 
creative leeway, just some grounding in reality. And then those films will be hosted on our YouTube page, the Old Idaho Penitentiary's YouTube page eventually. We're going to screen those very first before anyone else sees them at a public event in September, September 10th through 12th. Then after that, we're moving into October. We're looking at uh, some brand new October events, including paranormal investigations, night tours, and some uh, Halloween spookiness. Yeah. All right, everybody. So keep checking on our social media pages, our website, history.idaho.gov, to learn more information about all of these as they as they come about. And we'll uh, talk about them as we release these episodes this season. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about the National Endowment for the Humanities grant that we received? Yes. The Idaho State Historical Society applied for a National Endowment for the Humanities grant, uh, an NEH CARES grant and received $141,000 for the agency in order to support uh, humanities positions at the Old Idaho Penitentiary. That is actually in conjunction with the riot exhibit, with this Disturbing Justice exhibit, and will support our work as we bring this exhibit to you through the Behind Gray Walls podcast, through uh, some videos that we'll post on our social media pages and our YouTube account, courtesy of, of Mr. Anthony and through uh, educational resources that'll be available to school groups and those teachers who wish to incorporate some of this social justice material in their work in the coming months. And so we will be rolling that out. The best place to look for that stuff is going to be through the Old Idaho Penitentiary's Facebook and Instagram accounts and also through the Idaho State Historical Society website, history.idaho.gov. Is there anything you want to say about like what you want visitors to take away from this exhibition? I have been really excited for this exhibit since its conception because of the unique nature of the artwork and how it's going to be presented to the public in this um, sort of narrative form. These are stories that the historians here at the Old Idaho Penitentiary tell to guests, and it's always fun to be able to tell stories in a narrative form as opposed to just through photo captions or just through snapshots. It's really exciting to be able to tell these stories with a beginning point, a middle point, and an end point, and allow audiences to take something from the story based on the entirety of its occurrence and whether or not it happened again or whether or not things changed afterward. And so through a graphic novel, through a comic form, you're able to paint a really great picture of the effects of these stories and... Thankfully, we're also going to be able to take from this exhibit some good information on how uh, Idaho Corrections has evolved and the the issues that, you know, those who work in corrections face, those who are in correctional institutions as prisoners face today, and, you know, the different things that, that they're looking for and that they've always been either fighting for or fighting against and getting to discover, getting to understand how long we've either been working toward those things or... Whether or not we've made any headway, I think it's going to be such a fantastic experience for guests. And you will continue to hear JC and everybody on our staff's voices throughout this season as they are going to be forced on as <laughs> my extra sound design. So get used to it. <laughs> I, I, dude, you haven't lived until you've heard me sing. <laughs> I'm... Haley Noble, part of the staff here at the Old Idaho Penitentiary. Do a lot of research mostly, so, and fill in for whatever else needs done. And what was your role in our new exhibit, Disturbing Justice? Well, as I mentioned, I do a lot of research, so a lot of it was kind of supplementing what we already knew with some of the other aspects and details coming through the newspaper, and then I did do a lot with the photos, so kind of trying to track down some of the good photos we wanted to use, especially in those early days when we didn't, you know, we didn't have a picture of the 1910 disturbance. So, of course, you know, it was a chore to try to find good images, as always. I was going to say that's like one of the hardest tasks that I can think of, mm-hmm. is finding pictures. So yeah. I was fortunate enough before the whole COVID closure, I was able to go to the Boise State Special Collections and Archives where they have the statesman photos, especially in the 60s and 70s uh, riots and disturbances. So I was able to uh, find a lot of those newspaper 
Newspaper pictures, get them scanned, go through the negatives. So a lot of our good later photos came from that collection. Yeah, some of those those 73 riot photos, I've never seen. So, like those close-ups of the dining hall being mm. burned. and That's cool. So cool. Yeah. Thank you for digging oh, so hard sure. to find those. And, no, yeah. I mean, of course, you know the excitement when you find something. Oh, you're like, oh, I think this is important. You <laughs> sure do. You get that rush, and <laughs> we're all nerds here, so it's all good. <laughs> Speak for yourself, ma'am. Um, Just kidding. Sky, I know for a fact <laughs> that we are all nerds. <laughs> you're right, you're right. Nah. <laughs> Anthony, come on now. Okay. <laughs> Just admit it. <laughs> What's the biggest takeaway? What do you think the biggest thing that you want visitors to come away with from this riot exhibition? You know, I think one of the most poignant things that this explains is that these issues of social justice and human rights, like it's not just a East Coast thing or a big, you know, metropolitan thing. Like, these things were happening in Idaho as well on, you know, of course, a smaller scale. But, you know, going through and I did a lot of timeline research as well. So trying to see what is going on in the rest of the country while all these things are happening. And of course, these riots in Idaho, they're not an isolated thing, Mm -hmm. especially in the 70s, where you have Attica, you have prison down in Louisiana, and New Mexico in 1980, and you know, it's all of these outdated old facilities and these inmates saying, we deserve better. Mm -hmm. Saying, you know, we we have constitutional rights, we shouldn't have to worry about our safety. I mean, of course, you always have rival gangs and things like that, where your safety is an issue, but you know, your food should be good. Your cell houses are not going to be 120 degrees. And so all of those things, I think, speak to a larger issue. Mm -hmm. And we get, of course, the prisoner rights movement coming out of this, which stemmed again from the civil rights movement, Mm -hmm. which, of course, spawned so many other social changes and other movements. So I think, especially the 60s and 70s, it was such a turbulent time that the prisons were not isolated from that. And, you know, I mean, I think it makes a point of our prison system today where we're still dealing with these kinds of issues. And how did we react to them then? And how are we going to react to them now? Perfect, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Do your own time. Do your own number. We'll see you next week. If you enjoyed Behind Gray Walls, please rate, review, and subscribe so others can find our podcast. If you're interested in more Old Idaho Penitentiary information and to see mugshots of the inmates featured in this episode, follow the Old Idaho Penitentiary on Instagram and Facebook. If you want to learn more about the Idaho State Historical Society and its other sites, follow ID State Historical Society on Instagram or visit history.idaho.gov. If you have a question or comment for the hosts, please email us at behindgraywalls at gmail.com.